Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Going to cover a subject that's a little controversial. Yeah, I just wanted to start off the new year with a bang. Um, um, if you disagree with me about my interpretation of these texts, that's okay. I just won't speak to you anymore. Um, uh, but the. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I was stirred by, uh, I was in a meeting and there were some other pastors there. And I mentioned that it was Paul's driving, one of the things that drove Paul's ministry is was the second coming of Christ. We call it eschatology. And the idea that the Lord was going to come and not just take us to heaven, that actually bring us here and be with us in a new creation, in the new heavens and a new earth. This is what's taught in Isaiah. This is what's taught in uh, Revelation. And he looked at me and he said, uh, the second coming is so controversial and there's so many different interpretations. I don't think you can teach on it. Okay. And so I grant the fact that there's a lot of interpretations about the second coming. I grant the fact that there's a lot of different ways of looking at the book of Revelation. But what I would argue is that over the last few years, especially the last 50 to 100 years, the work of scholars, the work of teachers, have done an excellent job of trying to understand the type of literature that Revelation is. We call it apocalyptic literature. I'm sure you've, I see that all the time selling games at Best Buy, the word apocalypse on games or describing games, you know, this this is the end time and it's going to be awful and dark and and uh, destructive and and stuff. But the word apocalypse means revealing is what the word means. It means a revelation. It means a fresh experience and understanding of who Christ is. That's what apocalypse means. But what scholars have done is that they've done a tremendous job of really reaching back into the first century and trying to understand this kind of symbolic literature. You got beasts, you got dragons, you know, women having babies at the desert, you know, you've got uh stars, seven stars and candles everywhere and bowls pouring out plagues, you know. And what uh we call this apocalyptic literature, it's first seen in Daniel, a large part of Daniel, a large section of Zechariah. Jesus even uses this kind of language when he's describing the second coming uh that was read today in Mark thirteen. And so I think this began to develop a more and more of a consensus of, of what, how to read the book of Revelation and what these symbols mean. Now, keep in mind that the book of Revelation was written to a church, uh, churches, I should say, in Asia Minor, which is today Turkey, and they're written uh, to encourage them. A persecution had not started yet, but a persecution was coming, and we know historically that it did come, and... What the Lord was doing was revealing, opening the curtain of the spiritual realm of the heavens and the battles that were going on to help the churches understand what they were in the midst of, what spiritual warfare they were in the midst of, so that they could be prepared, so that they could see that the Lamb was in control. They could see that the Lamb had died for their sins. They could see that the Lamb was sufficient in the midst of the struggles they were going to face. Okay, And so the, the book is actually written as a form of encouragement. 
not as a way of uh, scaring you or frightening you, uh, but a way of, well, I will, will say, take that partially back. If you reject the lamb and you reject uh, his uh, word, and there is something to be afraid about that's called Judgment Day. And there is a judgment for those who have persecuted the church, who have martyred the saints, who have rejected Christ. So that is, but for the saints, it's to be a book of encouragement. Okay, so there's a way of reading these symbols and a way of reading this language. And so why write like this? Why don't you just say it plainly? More like First Thessalonians. He will come and the trumpets will sound and just say it more plainly. Well, part of it is, is the, the Jews of the first century had, you are used to reading this kind of symbolic language. We aren't. Two, this kind of language, once you immerse yourself in it and begin to read it, meditate on it, it sticks in your mind. It fills your imagination. And so it not only intellectually tells you something, but it, it fills your emotions and your heart with hope. So it's aimed at not just giving you information and affecting your mind. It's aimed at encouraging your emotions and helping you spiritually. And these symbols and signs, just like a, a, a good song or a, a movie, good movie that has symbols and things that just stick in your mind. And one of the things we have a hang-up in our culture is we think that symbols are not true. And then if, we, and if a book about, say, a biography is true. In other words, we think symbols, if something's symbolic, it's less than real, less than true. It's just metaphors. It's just poetry. Now, that's not the way that the Bible uses symbols. It's, it's true. And in fact, it can be more true in a sense than reality. Okay, so these symbols that we're going to look at and these signs that we're going to look at today in the book of Revelation is um, they're meant to convey truth. They're meant to inform your head. They're meant to stir your heart. And they're meant to be just as true as if you were reading Mark or Romans or First Thessalonians. Okay, so when we talk about the second coming, we see all kinds of strange things. This whole book, this is this whole magazine called Christian History, and they did a study of all the different views of the second coming. This is just a picture of all the different people that were described as Antichrist at one time or another in the history of the world. Well, I can understand Nero. He's going to maybe even be referred to in this text we're going to read. I can understand Hitler. I can understand if you're the rest of Europe, you could, you would think Napoleon is the Antichrist. But also people said Reagan was the Antichrist, of the quote. John Paul II was the Antichrist, and Martin Luther was the Antichrist. So you can see that there's a lot of different opinions on that. So you have to be careful about naming people. There's also um, a tremendous amount of fear related to the beast and who he is in the book of Revelation. And I wrote a little piece on this on my blog a number of years ago, and it's, it's been interesting to me how often it's come up. So as we look at this book, I'm going to suggest something that you may have not heard before, but I believe is uh, consistent with what the church has taught. And, and what I want to do this morning, my goal is to lift some fear off of you, to lift some anxiety 
off of you and to be able to look at this book as a book of hope and anticipation. So I'll just put it out there plainly. Can Christians get the mark of the beast? I've heard this all my life. I fear. I've been asked about this throughout my entire ministry. Okay. Is it a computer chip? Is it a barcode? Who is the beast and what is he about? Okay. And what I want to do this morning is lay that out for you. You may agree or disagree, but, you know, if you disagree, better have some good stuff. Okay. (laughs) Some good commentary, some good stuff. Okay. I want to encourage you a couple books. Reading Revelation Responsibly. It's got a dense title, but it's actually a very simple book by Michael Gorman on how to read the book of Revelation. There's also another one called Unholy Allegiance by David De Silva. I read it about two years ago. It's also a very simple book on how to lay out and understand the book of Revelation. If you want to go a little deeper, I would suggest Theology of the Book of Revelation by Richard Bauckham. That sounds deep too, but it's only 200 pages. It's really helpful in this area. Okay, so we're going to go to Revelation 13, and we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about some of the symbols and what the point is of this section, and then hopefully maybe lift a little burden off your shoulder. Okay, we're in Revelation 13:11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Okay, this beast is acting like Jesus. And two horns means he has authority behind him. But he spoke, when he spoke, he spoke like a dragon, which is a picture of Satan in the book of Revelation. So in other words, he gives the appearance of being a figure like Jesus, but he's actually very deceptive. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. There's a character coming up using uh, a being coming up that's going to encourage people to worship this first beast, and we'll talk about who that is in a minute. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. So we know in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 that the man of lawlessness, when he, Paul talks about, will do false signs and wonders. So that means us as charismatics, we need to be discerning. Okay? We tend to be susceptible sometimes that when we see signs and wonders, that person must be genuine. That must be the Lord. And uh, so we have to be discerning what kind of person or what kind of character. What's the character of the person who's doing these things? Verse 14, because of the signs he was given power to do, to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up the image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. What we think the first beast is, let me go and get to the point. The first beast is Rome. How do we know that? If you flip over to 17, the Bible is going to tell you who it is. Okay? 70% of all the symbols and signs, maybe even more so, I've heard some scholars say as much as 90% of all the signs and symbols in the book of Revelation, their meaning either can be found in the book itself or in the Old Testament. Okay. So you don't have to go searching around. Okay, it will t- Oftentimes it will tell you what it means. If not, where is that found in the Old Testament? And, and Because this is written to seven churches who are suffering persecution or about to, and they uh, needing encouragement, 
and it's got to be able to be understood by them. Okay? The book was written in 90 AD, roughly. So keep in mind, when you read it, it's mainly targeted to some churches in 90 AD in Turkey. Okay? So it's not talking about nuclear weapons. It's not talking about helicopters. Why? Because they're not, they didn't exist in 90 AD. Okay? These signs and symbols are going to appeal to their Jewish background and help them. And through that background, that Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures background, they're going to understand these things. So if you go down uh, verse uh, chapter 17, verse 6, let's start there. I saw the woman who was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. In other words, whoever this is just really, really loves persecuting Christians. Because they are not, they're not aligned to them. They want to make them look foolish. They want to bring their heavy hand on everything. We see that this woman referred to in verse 5 is, has a spirit of the Babylon the Great and is an abomination and values everything that the uh, church does not. When I saw her at the end of verse 6, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides. Okay which is seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up. Uh, come up out of the abyss into his destruction. So in Revelation is saying that the things you're reading here have happened in the past, happened in the present. You'll see some of them happening in the present, and then many of them won't be totally fulfilled until the future. Okay? So you, as this is written to some churches in 90 AD, some of this has already happened. This beast is already working. Present day, its spirit is operating. It won't be fully realized till right before the second coming of Christ. So the book of Revelation is past, present, and future. Okay? And so this beast has been working past, present, and future. Let's go. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was now now is not, and yet will come. So there's this sense of eternity, of predestination, of the work of Christ. Those who are in the Lamb's Book of Life, which we'll look at in just a minute, can be secure. Those who are not, have be fearful of judgment. Verse 9, this is the key verse. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills in which the woman sits. Okay. Now, where are the seven hills? Anyone? Rome is, yeah. Rome is the city of the seven hills. So they're telling you, John's telling you that the beast is Rome. Okay? He's telling you that it's a government that expects full allegiance. It's telling you that there is these authorities and when this was written, Nero was emperor. That, and he declared himself to be divine. Okay. He, John's telling you that this destruction, that this beast is a worldly power that expects your full allegiance to the point of worship. The first Christians that were persecuted in Asia Minor, we have a letter. Pliny the Younger, a ruler a regional ruler in Turkey wrote a letter to the Caesar asking permission for how and advice, how do I deal with these 
Christians. They won't burn the incense. They've got these so-called deacons and these women who run around and sharing the word and helping people in their homes. We've captured some of them and are under arrest. We've been, modern word, torturing them to try to get information about what their society is up to. In that, all they had to do to make this go away is you had a candle of incense next to a bust of the emperor of Caesar, in this case Nero, you light it and say, praise to Caesar. Caesar is Lord, and your life becomes immediately easy. You can believe anything you want to in Rome. As long as you light that candle, they give you a little certificate. But the burly Christians couldn't say Caesar is Lord. They could only say Jesus is Lord. And so that's when the because the, the state, wanted, the Roman Empire, wanted absolute loyalty and allegiance. So that's why they're a beastly culture. And also, why do we know that beasts are figures or pictures of human governments? Read the book of Daniel. Okay, Daniel chapter 7. Okay, A lot of the language that's being used in the book of Revelation is being picked up by John as he's seeing those same things that Daniel saw. The only thing that's unique as Daniel saw four beasts, we're going to see in the book of Revelation that all four beasts are one beast in the book of Revelation. We know from Daniel that those four beasts, and we know from history, what he saw was Rome, Greece, uh, the Medes and the, let's see, the Babylonians and the Medes and Persians. So it's, Medes, it's Babylonians, Medes and Persians, Greece and Rome is what Daniel's seeing. Because the fourth beast is the most destructive. That's what he's seeing. This is awfulness of destruction of a culture that wants full allegiance. And so what John is saying is, here's that Rome that Daniel's describing in Daniel 7. Here it is manifesting before us. And we're living in the midst of it. And you say, well, how does that relate to us, Father Glenn? Any culture that demands absolute authority and allegiance, that wants you not to control what you do, but control how you think. Like in George Orwell's 1984, you couldn't even think the wrong thoughts. Okay. Our culture is getting like that. You can't, it's not just a, enough to say, hey, I won't bother you, you can do what you want. No, you got to say it. So we don't, you've been thinking the wrong thoughts. That's where this violence is silence is coming from. You've got to agree with us. You've got to say it. You've got to think it. Okay? We want absolute control. Okay? You don't believe this is happening right now? There's a man right here. His name is Jack Phillips. That's the masterpiece cake shop in Colorado. Okay. He's been sued three times for discrimination. He will bake a cake for anyone, no matter their background or what they believe. But he was told that he had to bring the cake to the same-sex wedding and cater it. He said, I am a Christian. I don't believe in same-sex marriage. I'll bake the cake for you, but I cannot attend the wedding. 
he had baked cakes for this couple for over 10 years. They got offended and sued. It went to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which has already had tons of people in it who are already biased and ruled against him to fine him and try to shut down the bakery. The ruling went to the Supreme Court. If you may not remember it, but it happened, the Supreme Court ruled on his behalf, saying that the Civil Rights Commission was inherently biased against Christians. Okay? You can read the quote. It's in here in this article. So they've sued him again. Because the, a transgender person wanted to have a celebration at their home and wanted him to bring the cake and cater it. He said, I can't do that. And they're suing him again. They threw that one out. Because the Supreme Court already ruled on it. And now they're trying a third time. It's not enough that there's 20-something bakeries in that town. We want this baker to totally agree with us. We want him to say it. We want him to think it. We want him to be hold our convictions. We want absolute sway. You cannot disagree with us on these convictions. Okay. Same thing, Sarah, uh, Baronet Stoolsman in the state of Washington is going through the exact same thing. They combined her lawsuit with his, and since he won, she was supposed to be left alone, coming back after her again. Photographer in a small town in New Mexico said, hey, same-sex marriage, not my conviction. I'll do all kinds of photography. I just can't attend a wedding. New Mexico Supreme Court ruled against her. Said she had to. She had to put the business out. There's 20 other photographers in that town who could do that wedding ceremony. But we picked on the one we knew didn't agree with us. That's beastly-like behavior from the government, wanting us to conform to a certain view of marriage and sexuality. These people, we need to pray for them, We need to thank the Lord for them as they're the first soldiers on the front line who are fighting a civil rights for religious freedom. Some of you may have missed it. It kind of got overwhelmed by the news, but Sam Alito, one of the Supreme Court justices, got up and gave a speech for the Federalist Society and said, the greatest danger we fail, I feel that is coming, is religious freedom will be treated as a second-class right. Okay, He said this like two weeks ago. This is Rome in our midst, Babylon in our midst, wanting absolute allegiance, wanting to be able to control our behavior, wanting us to believe the same thing, think the same thing. Okay, That's how it relates to us. The beast at the time of John was Rome. There are beasts today, like China, is operating and persecuting its people, uh, taking away the freedoms that Hong Kong had long negotiated for. Most of those kids, if you see those marches from before COVID, almost if you listen to those news reports and just listen, even though they're singing it in Chinese, you will know the tune. They were singing hymns and praise and worship songs, crying out to God for their freedom and asking the United States to help them. Okay. 
This is the kind of thing that's going on. And so the beast, when you look at it that way, you can, it, takes, it takes the uh, mystery away because you're not looking for something strange, some kind of strange actor or monster. You're, you're looking at the government. It's right in front of you who's opposing the Lord and being empowered by Satan, according to the book of Revelation, to oppose his people. Okay. So it wants absolute allegiance. So let's get back to the text here. Um, let's see. Let's go back. So go back to 13. He ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. This, there's two beasts here that's being described. The first beast, that which you didn't read about in 13, is the Roman Empire. The second beast is the, we believe, what they're describing here is the, old, is the religious apparatus that encouraged emperor worship. And that is pointing people back to the emperor as to be their sole, to be their sole allegiance. Okay. On the coins in that time period, there would be a picture of uh, Caesar. And at the bottom, it would say, Caesar is Lord and Savior. So when Paul says Jesus is Lord and Savior in books like Philippians and Thessalonians, he's being politically defiant. Because he's saying there's only one Lord and Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. Okay, So we think this second beast, what they're describing is a apparatus that's encouraging emperor worship because they believe the emperor to be divine. And so not only is the beast trying to control the economy and trying to control people's allegiance, they're trying to control people's worship. He was given power to breath to the image of the first beast so it would speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. So this apparatus, these priestly religious people were actively encouraging people to be totally aligned with Rome. If they didn't, they sought, they, they sought them down. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of his name. So there's been a lot of fear about what is this mark that he's referring to, okay? So what do we do when you're in the book of Revelation? You go to the Old Testament to see what that symbol means, okay? I'm going to speed things up a little bit. We're going to jump to Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel is describing... The Lord's presence leaving the temple and his judgment could be coming on Jerusalem as the exile is beginning to is happening. Verse three, Ezekiel nine. Now the glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. And then the Lord called the man. Okay, so the actual what we call today Shekinah glory of God that rested over the cherubim in the Holy of Holies is starting to leave. Because judgment's coming on Israel for all its sin and decadence. And that presence is moving out and starting to leave. This is one of the saddest chapters in all of Scripture as the glory of the Lord is described as departing from the temple. 
But before this judgment starts, an angel is giving a, an assignment. Verse 3 again, Now the glory of the Lord of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. And then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing kit at his side and said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem, put a mark on the foreheads and those who grieve and lament over the detestable things that are done in it. So in other words, the people who had this mark were to be passed over for judgment because they were people who grieved over the sin of Israel and were in love with the Lord. The people who didn't have the mark, uh, go down verse 6, slaughter old men, young women, maidens, women, and children. A judgment's coming. But notice, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Okay? So what it is, the mark is someone that's internal. The mark is something that's been set aside by the Lord. It's a picture of uh, the letter Tau. Which letter, when you read it in its last Hebrew letter, it has a, when you see it, say, written out, it almost looks like a cross. And they're marked with this letter, Tau, in a sense, in their spirit. And they're seeing that these, uh, th these folks are still in love with the Lord. They're the remnant of Israel, and they will be passed over for judgment. Okay. Now, let's go to Revelation 7 real quick. We'll go down to, let me see. Chapter 7, verse 1, After this I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or the trees. Then I saw another angel coming up out of the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud, loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we've put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number which was sealed, 144,000. Twelve times twelve, twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles times a thousand is 144,000. So this is a symbolic number for all the people of God who trust the Lord and are following him. What is being put on them? They're being sealed by the Lamb and being set aside so that the judgment of God will not come upon them. So Christians have the seal of the Lamb, and we'll read in just a minute, the mark of the Father. And non-Christians who are allied and who have given their allegiance to the earthly powers and given all their hearts and minds to the governmental powers, they have the mark of the beast. Okay? I hear a lot of people talk about the mark of the beast, but I don't hear anybody talk about the seal of the Lamb. That's why you can't get the mark of the beast if you're a Christian. Because you have the seal of the Lamb and the mark of the Father. If you've given your heart to Christ, He is your Savior and your Lord, and you're living for Him. And many, like many of these believers in Revelation, they were willing to die for Christ. You have the seal of the Lamb on your heart. You have the mark of the Father in your spirit. 
And according to the book of Revelation, none of the judgments that are falling, going to fall on this culture and on these nations, this beastly power that wants full allegiance, none of that judgment will fall on them. So the mark is internal. Okay. The mark is done by God. And the mark is something that is, um, uh, reveals who you're allied to, who is your Lord, who do you live for. So if you live for the Lord, you don't have to fear a mark being put on you that you don't believe in. You don't have to fear that uh, a computer chip or a barcode or something, because this is internal. This is a mark that the Lord has given for his people so they'll be protected from the judgments that will fall upon the earth. Here, let's go back to Revelation and uh, chapter uh, into chapter 13. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it is a man's number. The number is 666. Six is a human, means human frailty and symbolic. Human sin and frailty. Okay. It's an imperfect. Seven is the perfect number. So six is less than seven. And man was created on the sixth day. So it is a picture of fallen man. Okay. Six sixteenths means there's a person who embodies the fullness of the sinfulness. When you take the Hebrew letters and you give them a number, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleph, one, two, three, four. And you count them out. For, and you count it out. What you get for 666 is, is Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero. Okay. It's called Geomatra. It's a technique of symbolism where you give a letter a Number. So the first number in the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph, so it would be one, Beth, it would be two, Gimel would be three. So as you take these Hebrew letters and work them through, what you get is Nero Caesar. <clears throat> okay. So the embodiment of the beast and his destruction is embodied in a person who wants total loyalty, who wants to be worshipped as a god, and is completely sinful. So yes, a spirit of the beast is in a Hitler. A spirit of the beast is in China. <clears throat> a spirit of the beast is in the former Soviet Union. Just try, just once, go to Moscow. Even say it in English. Vote against Putin. He's a dictator. Let's see how long you last. <laughs> All the journalists have done that have fled the country. And then when they flee the country, the KGB finds them and poisons them. And they're recovering currently in Britain as they're treating them for a poison that should have killed them. And in some cases, some of them have. Just like in some of these born movies, someone secretly enters into someone's house. Suddenly, this political flow, this journalist who spoke out, suddenly disappeared are suddenly found dead. Putin wants total allegiance. He's dictator for life. He just got it changed in the Constitution that he would always be perpetually voted in. 
He could always be president. There's no limitations. That's the spirit of the beast. Okay. <clears throat> now, here's the encouraging part. Chapter 14. Then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him the 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So here's the people of God. Mount Zion is a place where heaven meets earth. The lamb standing has been victorious in his resurrection power. All his people are gathered together, and their hearts are marked, are sealed with loyalty to him. You say, Father Glenn, what about the mark? I thought back here you said you couldn't buy or sell unless you had the mark. So it must be something physical. But what about Mr. Uh, Jack here, Jack Phillips, with the Masterpiece Case Shop? Does he have a mark on his outside? No, but he can't buy and sell. Why? Because he's not aligned up. The current status quo about sexual issues. You can't buy and sell because his heart's aligned to Jesus and they're trying to shut him down. So it's not necessary to have an outward mark. What they, the mark is, is they know, they can see by your life who you live for and who you're dedicated to and they try to shut you down. Economically, they try to box you out. Okay, And that's what they're trying to do to these bakers. So it's not necessary. And I looked at several scholars, and I, I wasn't exhaustive, but I popped the books. And <clears throat> almost everyone that I looked at said, yes, this mark is symbolic of something that's on the heart. It's not physical. Okay, That's why, though I don't want one, I don't want a barcode on my hand, I don't want a chip in my wrist, but that's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is who are you allied to? Who do you live for? Who are you committed to? Okay. So as a Christian, I don't have to fear you know, like going to get surgery and all of a sudden waking up and seeing something in my hand. Okay. And that was the mark of the beast. Now, you can't get the mark of the beast because you're a Christian. There's only two ways. There's two things. The seal of the Lamb and the mark of the Father that we just read or the mark of the beast. It's who you're loyal to, who you're allied to, who do you live for. Okay? These folks have lived for Christ. They're set aside and they're marked. We know from, I want to go there right now, but we know from Deuteronomy 5 that it says, put the word of God on your forehead. Put it on your wrist. Even Orthodox, real strict Orthodox Jews, I know you blow the box and they'll have a little scripture there. But what the text is saying is that you don't have to wear it literally on your head. It means have your mind saturated with the Word of God. Have the things that you do with your hands saturated with actions that reflect the Word of God. Okay. So these marks are internal and they're reflective of who you are and what you do. So you don't have to be fearful of it. Getting, you don't have to be fearful of receiving something you don't want. Okay? <clears throat> as long as you're looking to Christ in faith, you don't have to be fearful of a mark of the beast. That's simply what I'm trying to say. Okay? 
Now listen here, and I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder, and the sound I heard was like the harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. The only people who know this joyful sound was this joyful sound of worshiping God, of being in his presence and experiencing him. Only those people who knew the song of worship. It's only those people who could, who had learned it and they had been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. They had believed the cross was, Christ's death was for them and they were washed clean by his blood. There's a strange phrase. I always get a chuckle out of it. It says, those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. So it makes it sound like the only people who are redeemed is 144,000 male virgins. Okay, if you read it literally. Okay, what the symbol is, is if you were totally dedicated to the to the Lord and walking in his warfare and spiritual warfare dedicated to him in Israel, you kept yourself undistracted as a married man and you focused entirely on the warfare. So it's saying here that these, these people of God, keep in mind 144,000 is a symbolic number of all those people who love the Lord, whether Jew or Gentile. They'll follow him wherever he goes. They're totally dedicated to him. That's one of my favorite phrases in Revelation. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were totally surrendered to him. He was the Lord of their life, and they wanted to be totally obedient to him. And because of that, they break out into a new song because their hearts are filled with worship. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God. Lo, lie was found in their mouths. They were blameless. They had been transformed by the work of Christ. They were standing in the righteousness of God. So we can see real quick some things. The seals and marks speak of the mark of the beast and the seal of the lamb. You can't receive a tattoo or computer chip or barcode um, for following the lamb. The true mark of the beast, there's a true, either you're one or the other. You're, you're marked by the lamb, for the lamb, if you've surrendered your heart to Christ and live for him only, or you're dedicated, unknowingly or knowingly, to being totally loyal to this culture and its beliefs, and that would be the mark of the beast. We've seen already that there's symbols, and when we go and we see these symbols, we need to, we may get confused by them, but go to the Old Testament first and see what it means there. If you can't find it there, there usually be a commentary or someone who will help you see that this is referring to something cultural at the time. Maybe 10% of the symbols in the book of Revelation refer to, some, uh, refer to something in the Roman Empire. Like when we mentioned the city on the seven hills, everyone in the first century would have known that was Rome. But you might not know that. That's not a phrase we use. That's not a reference we use. Unless you go to Italy, you'll hear it. But So you may need to look that up. <clears throat> so have uh, we seen that the, the beast is identified with Rome or with a nation who's attempting to want all its citizens to be totally loyal to it? Okay. We also saw that there was emperor worship, that, that there was a, a spirit that had caught up and to dedicating themselves to praising uh, the Caesar or the person. And... Um, and there was this uh, emperor worship going on. 
And I don't see it yet in America, but it does scare me when I do see uh, back when President Obama was elected, I saw footage of a school teacher at a public school teaching like 25 kids to sing a praise to Barack Hussein Obama. It's on YouTube. That's scary. Okay. And then I've heard, I didn't see it, but I heard that someone had done that with Biden. That's not a thing you do, praising people. You only praise the Lord, you know. And so we can take away from this a couple of things. One, we can be free from the fear of getting the mark of the beast because we, if you've given your heart to Christ, you cannot get it. Okay? But what we can know is that we have the seal of the Lamb and the mark of the Father. He has his hands on us. We're written in the Lamb's book of life. We, this has been uh, decided before the foundations of the world so that we can be secure in our relationship with the Lord even when things get bad. We don't have to be fearful people. We can know that one day we're going to be standing on Mount Zion in the presence of where heaven and earth meet. And we're going to be singing with all the people of God who have lived through all the centuries, praising the Lord Jesus Christ and exalted him because we've all been redeemed by his blood. We're worshiping a lamb who has been slain, yet he's standing. In other words, death couldn't defeat him. And and this anticipation of all the singing, this... uh, this um, experiencing this glory and singing this new song of worship propels us, motivates us to want to do what? To follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We love Him. We obey Him. No matter what the world demands, no matter what governments demands, no matter what craziness goes on, we're totally committed to following Jesus. That's what's in our hearts. So we're not fearful. We're going to be free from fear. Okay, We're going to be excited about loving Jesus. We're not going to have to worry about who is next. We don't have to worry about what direction the United States is going. I want it to go. I would like it to continue. I would like it to be free. I'd like it to be a place where people can enjoy God and worship. I'd like it to be a place where there's no abortions unless for the health of the mother. With 97% of all abortions are abortion on demand. It's used as a form of birth control. I'd like to see that end. I would like, I believe that the Holy Spirit can move on this land and bring revival and renewal. But until then, we're going to follow the land wherever he goes. We're not going to capitulate to the society's beliefs. We're going to walk with him and trust him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we can be free from fear. But also, Lord, we're thankful that you've called us to be your people and your own. Lord, we want to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And Lord, we thank you that we're sealed unto you. There's nothing the enemy can do to take away that seal. And we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got a lot to pray about. Uh, I think I've, on Group B, I don't know how many of y'all uh, are on that list, but um, Bishop Jones' brother, Jimmy Jones, as many of you know, I've known him since the 80s, uh, even, uh, even before there was a CEC. He is in critical condition in the hospital in Selma for COVID. Uh, 
I would heard uh, Father Scott said that there was a posting that his numbers were better, but there was concern about some uh, kidney issues, renal failure. And so we want to uh, pray for his healing. Uh, Ray Baker, many of you know John, uh, who was involved with Benny Orr and our youth there for a long time. He's the captain of the Indian Ford Fire Department up on the hill on South Shades Crest. When you're driving to my house on the right, he's the captain over that. His son is, John, who Rajal's age and <clears throat> young people's age. And so he's in critical condition at UAB West with a ventilator for COVID. So uh, Ray Baker, yeah. Uh, Ray and Marty will visit every now and then, especially when Bishop Chuck comes. They just live down the road here at Cherokee Beach Turn there. And so we want to lift them up. Uh, this is a fresh wave of COVID. Uh, I encourage you to take it seriously. Uh, the numbers are higher than anything since the beginning. And death rates are almost as high as when this first broke out. I know we're weary of it. I wore a mask for 13 hours Friday. You get weary of it. But <clears throat> but it's uh, uh, we, I do encourage you to take precautions, uh, when, especially when I see two dear friends suffering like this. And so we want to pray for their healing this morning. I'll hand it over to Father Scott, let him he, uh, lead us. And then uh, in the midst of that, let's pray for them. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.